It's amazing to be with you guys again. Thank you for the opportunity to share God's word. I am uh, feeling compelled to share this message. And it's a message that I have been incubating for about 14 to 15 months. There's a little bit of a hum on this, but I think it's better now. So I just want to ask for mercy on one thing. Don took the first five minutes of my talk <laughs> telling you how to hear my talk, which I thought was valid uh, in, in the main. But uh, I want to speak to you today on the most elusive thing in the world. I want to speak to you on reclaiming gospel contentment. And my premise is that, that contentment is the most difficult thing to secure in the inner working of your soul and mine. What I love about church and gathering together on Sundays is that we come together to sing and we worship. And one of the most miraculous things about worship is it puts another center in front of us. It kind of challenges the self-centeredness of our lives. It challenges ego, which is an acronym for edging God out. Worship is the capacity or the gift to focus away from ourselves as someone infinitely greater, wiser, more wonderful than us. And it's in the beholding, 2 Corinthians 3 and 18 says, with, with an open face we behold the beauty or the glory of God and are being transformed into His likeness from one degree of glory to the next. If you were to say to me, Rigby, what is God's vision for my life in 2020? I'll share you his vision for my life in 2020. You see, Common Ground is a church with very wonderfully strategic, well-communicated vision. But this year, as we as congregation leaders gather together to talk about 2020, there was this remarkable alignment to another aspect of vision. It's the vision to become a certain kind of person. And one of the marks of that kind of person, it's a supernatural mark, is contentment. And uh, I'm hoping that this will be life-giving to us, and I would recommend that you scribble down. If you didn't bring that piece of paper, use your smartphone or, or ask your wife. She probably remembers way more than you do. So we're going to read together from Philippians chapter 4, verse 10 through to 13, and then we're going to read together from 1 Timothy 6, from verse 6 to 11. And in the first passage, Paul is addressing a, sh a church, and he's, he's sharing out of his own discipleship journey. I love it when leaders do that. They talk about how, what, what God's doing in them. And the second one, he talks to a young leader, because he wants to set the bar for what is the new normal 
in spiritual communities. He says, if, if we don't get it as leaders, how on earth are others going to live there? So it'll all come together in a moment. So Philippians 4, 10 to 13, the great apostle Paul says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received, revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Perhaps in the Philippian church, there were lots of Christ followers 2,000 years ago, also struggling as a persecuted minority in the Roman Empire, trying to live out their faith, going out into the contested space, the hustle and hurry of that life. And Paul is sharing about what, what God's doing in the deepest part of himself. And those readers, I'm imagining, would have got great joy and insight on how to live their lives. And so, 1 Timothy 6, 6 to 11 is to this young leader, Paul's protege, some refer to him as, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Can you say that out loud with me? But godliness with contentment is great gain. For the two or three who did that, uh, all expenses paid trip to Mauritius, care of uh, Don, my friend here. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. That's a clue. But if we have food and clothing with these, we'll be content. Sue says, lots of clothing. <laughs> but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction, for the love of money is a root for all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, man of God, as for you, leader, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, as a leader, I want to stand up in front of you and tell you I have struggled for the last few years with low-burning anxiety in my life, not an anxiety that's needed to be medicated, although I understand those who would need some extra help in that area. And part of it has to do with, with my obsession with knowing what's going on in the news, and I would find myself... Uh, overexposed to the hyper-reality of all the various websites from time to time. Oh, there just maybe one or two people that can identify with me on that. Would you just slip your hand up? I'd love to know. Yeah, the rest of you are liars. <laughs> and I want to put it to you that the culture in which we live is so conditioned to breed anxiety in your life and mine, through overexposure to certain understanding of, of, of reality that is really exaggerated, 
embellished reality. Bad news is the only news that sells. And I've had to make some personal adjustments in my life, and one of them is I don't do the news until later on in the day. I've set a limit for how much I, I will expose myself to, and I'm realizing for me to be the kind of leader God wants me to be, I am needing to, 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 to take myself by the scruff of the neck and, and get this thing sorted out. And so Paul is putting before us this premise with a beautiful promise. What's the premise? That the God-centered life, godliness with contentment is great gain. That the God, godliness is God-centered. It's not, it's not about keeping your nose out of trouble. It's not only about moral purity. Godliness is the God-centered life. It's God at the center of your life 24-7. And godliness with its number one fruit of contentment, if God is at the center of everything that we do, then contentment ought to ravish the heart of everyone who names the name of Jesus Christ. And he says, if you get that God-centered life with contentment, it is great gain. It's the ultimate dividend of following Jesus Christ in this life. Outside of that, it's not dividends, it's taxes. And folk, I want to put it to you that the dominant fault line in our culture, not just in South Africa, around the world, is the fault line of discontent. Every sphere has this life-sapping drain of discontent eating away. Politics, sport, economics, body shape, relationships, and of late Wi-Fi speeds. <laughs> and that famous 21st century prophet, Will Ferrell, has come up with a great lesson for us. If you're young and you want to marry somebody, never marry a person until you've seen what they like with slow Wi-Fi. <laughs> the discontent is what drives the anger, the relational fracture. It gives rise to discontented moods and cultures. And Christ followers are not immune to this. God, in that first couple in the garden, gives them, let's say, 45,000 trees and says, have the whole lot, just this little one here. You can't have any fruit from that tree. And then a voice enters that world and says, God's holding out on you. And starts to feed the root of discontent, which is the cause of the first sin or the foundation of the, of the first sin where we're discontented with the much God has already given us and we're focusing on the very little that He has not maybe in His wisdom given us. We live in a highly propagandized society. Is that such a word? But, I mean, we are just exposed to advertising all the time. And you might have heard me say it before, but advertisers and advertisements rob us of our self-respect, and then they sell our self-respect back to us at the price of the product. 
If you really want to be the real you, the best you, you need to drive this car. So they say, you're not your real you until you have that, so they've robbed you of your self-respect. Then they say it'll cost only 7,999 rand a month with balloon payments, which are in fine print, and, and it's all yours. If you'll just pay this, you can have your contentment. It's a lie, and that's what we're exposed to over and over is we are bombarded with numbers of these lies. And yet Paul is coming to us as the author and also the example of a contented life. He has found his contentment whilst writing the letter to the Philippians chained to a Roman god. He's under house arrest. He's not in touch regularly with family. He has maybe a few visitors, but he does not have freedom of movement. And then he writes this epistle from a jail. It's just unbelievable. The only problem, Paul might have had this thing going on in his head. Remember that this church, he's writing the letter to the Philippians, but the church was born... In Acts chapter 16, with Lydia coming to faith, a slave woman coming to faith, and then the jailer and his whole family coming to faith. But the jailer and his family came to faith because while Paul and Silas were in jail and they were singing at midnight, God unleashed a power from heaven that broke into their physiological circumstances and physical circum material circumstances, and the chains fell off all the prisoners, and the, and the gates were thrown open wide, wide as, a, as a miracle of God's releasing power, except Paul didn't make a run for it, and neither did any of the other prisoners run for it. If they had run, that prisoner would have lost his life because that was his mandate, and he would have been killed for losing the prisoners. Now here's my question. He's writing from Rome, telling the, in jail, and he says, I've, I'm, I'm content. I've learned the secret of being content. And how come he's not ordering in another earthquake? Think about it. That's what happens sometimes. God was kind to us in the early part of our life, and we think that's, that's the formula. Let's just, let's just dial in an earthquake, uh, uber earthquakes. Maybe <clears throat> I'm being a little silly. But is it possible that Paul in jail finding contentment is a greater miracle than Paul in jail experiencing an earthquake? And I want to ask you, where are you in the range of expectation? Do you want supernatural deliverance from your circumstances? Or do you want to become the kind of person who's experiencing miraculous power on the inside of your day-to-day -day life in the midst of a crazy, hassled, hurried world? Do you want that kind of supernatural power? Because then a vision to become a certain kind of person person is way more important than a vision to get God bailing us out of our circumstances because we are throwing tantrums and spitting the proverbial dummy from time to time. Can I have a yeah? yeah. Story of a wealthy employer overheard, overheard one of his employees, ladies say, you know, if I just had 10,000 rand, my life would be perfect. I'd be totally content. And he overheard her, and he 
called her into his office and said, you know, I heard you say this. I'm going to write you out a check, 10,000 rand. I want you to tell me how you, here's the check, off you go. As she's walking down the road, or out the office, he hears her say, oh, if only I'd said 20,000. <laughs> it's human nature to keep moving the goalposts, and particularly as we, as we get older and older, and Paul's making the case for a whole other category of contentment. Are you ready? Four marks of contentment. Sue and I have got to the place where we are so discontented with our discontent. We are, we got discontent radar. We can see it, and we're reminding each other, and, 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 and speaking to each other, and, and, and realizing some of the stuff uh, is, is, is just not conducive to becoming a certain kind of person. So number one, contentment, four marks of lasting contentment. It's for you personally for Seaburg, and for our mission into this great city of Cape Town. Number one, contentment has a shape. There was a study at Duke University on peace of mind, a secular study that guys like Randy Elkhorn and a few others have alluded to in their writings. And uh, the study was about factors found to contribute to emotional and mental stability. Secular stuff. Number one, the absence of suspicion and resentment. Grudges are fatal. Number two, living in the past. And we'll get to why I'm reading the study, because the last one is the key to shape. Not living in the past. Unwholesome preoccupation with old mistakes, failures, or even successes. Unhelpful. Not wasting time and energy, fighting conditions. You cannot change. Force yourself to stay involved with the living world. Resist being a recluse and withdrawing. Refusing, refuse to indulge in self-pity when life hands you a raw deal. Six, cultivate old-fashioned virtues like love, humor, compassion, and loyalty. Seven, do not expect too much of yourself. If there's too wide a gap between what you want to do and your abilities, you're going to live in perpetual inadequacy. It's crushing. But here's the big one. Find something bigger than yourself to believe in. Secular study. You need more than you. I don't know where you are on your spiritual walk. Maybe you're pretty good, and maybe you're pretty competent. Maybe you've got unbelievable skill and competency levels and, and money and, and pedigree and all of that. I just want to say to you, you're not going to cut it. You are not enough for you. You were not designed and created to be satisfied and fulfilled by you. Contentment has a shape, and it's not more of you. It's not a better version of you. It's not a self-improvement program. The first clue to shape is finding someone or something bigger, wiser, more loving, more gracious than yourself. What's Paul alluding to when he says godliness with contentment? He's saying, get a new center. It can't be you. 
You and I were designed with a certain internal shape for our deepest satisfaction. Nothing horizontal comes close to occupying that shape. John Mark Homer, in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, says this, contentment isn't some Buddhist-like negation of all desire. No. It's living in such a way that your unfulfilled desires no longer curb your contentment. We live and will die with unfulfilled desires. In this life, all our symphonies remain unfinished. But this does not mean we live unhappy lives. The truth is you can be happy right here, right now, through Christ who strengthens you. That's the shape. It's cruciform. That means by maintaining ongoing connection to Jesus, you can be consistently content, whether you're rich or poor, single or married, infertile or, like our friends today, counting the days till your kids are out of the house or born. (laughs) You could be crushing it at your dream job or on minimum wage doesn't matter. This or this. Right now, if you yoke to Jesus, you have everything you need to be content or happy. You have access to the Father, and you have His full attention. You see... What Paul's trying to do is refocus our desires. He's not wanting to take away our desires. He wants to refocus them upwards to the one who said, keep your life free from the love of money, the horizontal stuff, and be content with what you have. For he said, it's not because whether what you have is enough or too much. It's because he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus says, I'm in your boat no matter what. Contentment has a shape, and it's Christ. Augustine says, our hearts are restless, discontented until they find their rest in you. The shape of the one who knows you the best and loves you the most is the only one who can secure us on the inside particularly in difficult circumstances in a changing world. I sit with people who are having all kinds of conversations around the future of this country, and I think that's valid, and I'm not nitpicking anyone. I just want to be sure that it's starting out of a place of contentment in Christ because you'll get the best guidance in that place than if if you're starting the conversation rooted in discontent. That's a dangerous place to find shalom and peace because you will not be doing it as a certain kind of person. You'll be doing it looking for results and you'll take the person you are to wherever you are in the world. Number two, contentment has its own curriculum. A little side comment. So does the culture in which we live. It has a curriculum for your life and mine. It might not be directed at you personally, but it's so embedded in the rhythms of our everyday life uh, contentment has a curriculum. There's a, there's, a, there's a journey we're on to become content. 
Well, our culture has a curriculum for your discontent, and you, we have to learn to dial out of that. We need to have early warning systems. We've got to learn to hear God on this. So when Paul says, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content, he's talking about a curriculum. There's something he's, being, he's learning. It's a lifelong process. It's not a technique. It's not a university degree on contentment. Uh, it, it It is being under the easy yoke and light burden of Jesus. It's having Christ in you. I'm learning as Jesus is teaching me in whatever situation I am to be content. He goes and he says, I've learned the secret of facing plenty, hunger, abundance, need. It's a progressive, lifelong journey we're on. I don't know if you fully graduate in this life, But the beauty is you make progress in this life and you become more and more contented as you become more and more mature. And one of the fruits of your maturity is contentment. And one of the fruits of immaturity is discontentment. And if if, if there's this call to learn, I want to deal with a myth that often accompanies anybody who says, we've got to learn this thing. We want formulas. We want, you know, tell me where I can write the check. I want it now. I don't want to have to wait. None of that applies here. There are no shortcuts. You see, the Bible is opposed to trying to earn that by throwing money at it or learning some, you know, new breathing techniques to deal with stress. Some of that might be helpful. I'm not having a go at anyone. But, but what, what God's trying to get our attention on is, it's, God is not opposed, the gospel's not opposed to, the gospel's opposed to earning, it's not opposed to effort. To effort, to, to say, I'm going to pursue this. I'm going to pursue this. As a matter of fact, um, one of the lessons that we learn is contentment teaches us new pursuits. Paul says to Timothy, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastly, gentleness. How long are we supposed to pursue that? Because our culture is telling us a whole lot of other things to pursue. Your diary reflects it. Our purchases reflect it. Paul's saying, hey, I want to give you some tangible qualities of Christ-likeness to mature, and if you have a vision to be a certain kind of person, you're going to need to pursue that thing. You're going to need to write and, and, and meditate and pray and ask God to wash over you in His renewing in His renewing grace. And we don't have a lot of time, but if you go and look at some of the lessons that are implied in 1 Timothy, I'll just give them to you very quickly because I want to land on the other two. Lesson one, what's at the bottom of our discontent is our failure to believe that everything we need, we already possess in Jesus. In other words, He's enough. Can you say that out loud? Lesson two, we all suffer to some degree from a disease called eternity amnesia. What will satisfy in eternity, the Holy Spirit's work in our life today is to satisfy that, us with that now. To behold the beauty and the wonder and the glories of God are possible in this life, but if we don't have an eternity lens we get sucked into the things of this world 
and we get deceived. Have you heard those guys? The guy makes the money and then he goes and buys the holly and he comes back home and his wife says, oh, doll, that is divine. Move into the new home, young couple, beautiful. Oh, this is divine. Where did we take that word divine? And put it on earthly temporal things. It's because the culture has taken the words that belong to the person on the journey to contentment, toward becoming more like Jesus. That is, we look at the glories of the divine one and we're transformed. We don't say we're divine. We say there's only one person who's divine and, and there's only one person who's awesome. There's only one true awesomeness and it resides in the person of God. Number three, uh, contentment celebrates what you have, and less is sometimes more. Without trying to draw attention to ourselves, uh, for some other reasons, we've been letting our home and moving into small cottages for a while now, just trying to manage some of our uh, you know, financial responsibilities, no crisis, but just wanting to be wise. But when we've done that, we've found ourselves living in much smaller space. I can't tell you what a joy it's been for Sue and I. We, you know, 270 square meter home, and then we went to 65, and now we've graduated to 90. It's just like it's a palace. Uh, and I, all I'm trying to, don't do what we do. I'm not putting anything in you. I just want to tell you that we're learning to be content with less. And of course, I could say stuff about about money. Keep your life free from the love of money, for he has said, never will I leave you nor forsake you. There's a lesson about money finance. It's a lesson about being totally messed up by the unhealthy pursuit of more and bigger, better, faster. Man once saw a bald eagle soaring in, the, uh, 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 soaring in circles. The circles began to tighten, and the man looked over to see a weasel. Suddenly, the, e- the eagle uh, dropped out of the sky like a jet and caught the weasel in its talons. Amazingly, as the eagle began to fly away, the weasel began to eat away at the breast of that eagle. And the man watched as the weasel tore away at the eagle, snapping bones and chewing flesh. He watched the eagle fold up and crash, and the weasel went on his merry way. Sometimes the things we crave desperately want will ruin us. The lie of if only. Whatever you put after, if only. When you're having dinners at home, if only, if only. Whatever you put after that is your true functional savior. That's the thing you're saying is going to change your life. But when you've got contentment, you can say, even if What if, like the three Hebrew boys, this, that, and the other, and then they say, but even if God doesn't deliver us, He is in our lives and in our story. Can I have another year? Number three, contentment has a range. Paul says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Here it is, one pole, any and every. This pole, abundance, this pole, lack. He's using language that we can identify with. Feasting, 
famine, abundance, need. There's a range. Paul's saying, I've learned to find my contentment in the full range of living my human life on this planet, in this world. Oh, my dear. And God is not trying to pleasure-proof our lives. I just want to warn us. Some of us have a predisposition to hear. Oh, I just, I just feel like, like I'm really spiritual when I just live on barely get along street down Grumble Alley. And then the guys here are just so, so like secured by what they own. And it's a, the drift happens here that's really, run, really, really unhelpful. Now, God doesn't want to pleasure-proof us because he says to the same Timothy, he says, God has given us freely all things to enjoy. Our problem is not what God gives us or whether we should enjoy those things. The issue is what secures us. Can you, can you in your maturity go through some difficult times and like Paul, chain to a Roman God, and I don't think you'll ever, ever experience that, lose mates, loved ones, persecuted, beheaded, all of that. He says, I've learned in any and every circumstance to be content. I want to I want to call us to become a certain kind of person. I want you to get a vision to become a certain kind of person that resembles Jesus Christ more and that is marked by contentment. Paul's saying, in spite of all that stuff, despite being in the school of hard knocks, despite pain and pleasure, health and sickness, weakness and strength, highs and lows, I found that you can be content in this life. And contentment is not the state of your accounts. It's the state of your heart. And contentment is found in making the most of the least. Contentment is found in creating a little more margin and not being near the edge of everything, financially, diaries, all of that. I think our culture is shaping our rhythm, and let me give it to you. This is my summary of John Mark Coburn's book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. You cannot serve or you cannot be under the easy yoke and like, like light burden of Jesus in the 21st century. Let me say it again. You cannot be under the easy yoke and light burden of Jesus in the 21st century. If I had a heart attack now and I didn't finish the sentence, I'd be in serious trouble. I'm saying it again. You cannot be under the easy yoke and light burden of Jesus in the 21st century if you're living by the pace of the 21st century. We're smoking something. Until we deal with this issue of pace, we are being discipled into discontent because you are doing too much within the time frames God has called you to live, and some of it is to do with our values because we're aspiring to live a certain kind of a life and it's killing us and we're paying a price. Now, I know I'm not getting invited back to this church, so I'm just going <laughs> to land. The great French composer Claude Debussy said, music is the space between the notes. If there were no space between the notes, what would you have? Noise. God wants to get some more space into our lives. Space to walk the green belts of this beautiful area that you guys live in. I've just moved into it. I was out there this morning and 
six o'clock, just enjoying the beauty of that creation, stealing granadillas off somebody's vine growing on the public space. But, uh, <laughs> but I'm, I'm going to tithe on them. Don't worry about that. Let's land this. Contentment has a secret. Oh, my dear. There's a secret. And it's like, you know, contentment isn't like a consolation prize. Contentment is what you get when you don't, want, when you don't get what you really want. Oh, God's calling me to be content because he's not giving me what I really want. Well, sometimes God gives you what you really want, and you still need to be content, and sometimes you don't get it. So contentment isn't a consolation prize. It's a mark of spiritual maturity. And there's a secret to this. So when Paul says, I've learned the secret of facing plenty, hunger, abundance, what's the secret of contentment? What's the secret? And I'm going to admit to being very embarrassed around what I thought the secret was. How many of you would write exams and one of your prayers would be, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? (laughs) Or, you know, you're in the the courthouse to argue for that 150-kilometer fine. And you go in there and you, you pray the prayer, Oh, God, I can do all things through you who strengthen me. I mean, you're toast. Forget that prayer. Pay the fine or go to jail. <laughs> Listen carefully. For years, I've seen it on taxis. The verse, the Bible verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. <laughs> Taken totally out of context. Paul is saying, I've learned the secret of being content in all of these circumstances. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Here's the reality, my friend. In every In any and every circumstance, Jesus has been in the any and every circumstance of our lives. Jesus has experienced the full range of every temptation, every trial. Jesus has experienced the fullness of glory and riches and success. Jesus knows what you and I are going through. And that's why affirming His presence in your life, getting this new spiritual center. You can be a Christ follower and have peace with God. This talk is about having the shalom of God, having the the this this sense of soul flourishing and 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 peacefulness in your soul in the deepest part. And here's the secret. Through Christ in your life, strengthening you in no matter what circumstance you are, in every moment, you have the presence of Jesus Christ. You have the wisdom of Jesus Christ. You have the power of Jesus Christ. You have the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. My friends, we're going to need that in the days and the weeks and the months that lie ahead. And it's not going to be politicians giving us our peace and our shalom or economists or whatever it is. It's for you and I who name the name of Jesus It's going to be Christ himself. And the good news for you personally is you can be perfectly happy, content, joyful in this life if Christ is strengthening you. As a church, the upside with godliness and contentment is great gain for us as a community. If contentment becomes not just the fruit of the Spirit in your life, but it becomes what we're defined by. Those guys are not complaining all the time. When you get to brass with them, they have a different vocabulary. My friends, contentment is a very, 
very elusive commodity in the 21st century. And if you've got it, you are a sign and a wonder. You like Paul in that jail. He says, oh, I've learned the secret. <laughs> don't give me, don't give me, if, if God wants to send an earthquake, that's okay. But I'm pursuing, I'm in the curriculum of God, I'm learning the contented life. And if you're not yet a Christ follower, I want to commend to you the person who knows you, who loves you, knows everything about you, and he wants to come in and save you and forgive you and make you brand new and impart his life-giving presence to you every day. I know I've preached a bit longer than I should, but that's because of Don's message right at the beginning. (laughs) I don't know how I could have done that shorter, but I hope that's very helpful. Does that encourage you? I stand in front of you as a shepherd. Yes, I lead with Ryan, the common ground story in Cape Town, but I'm standing before you today as a shepherd. Christ is wanting to shepherd our souls. And he wants us to shepherd each other in this pursuit of journeying toward Christ-likeness. Get a vision for your life that isn't a trip to Mauritius or another mindless you know, some thing you throw money at, get a vision to become more like Jesus. Be intentional. Let's sign up to do this together. Father, I pray for your voice to come through. Thank you for Don's provocation to all of us to take some notes, to have something to share as we leave here today, and to intentionally uh, learn the secret. <laughs> Christ, you're in us, you're with us, you're for us. And we can do all things through you as our strengthening reality and presence. Commend every person in the room to your grace. Pray that you would lead us in your ways. In Christ's name. Thanks, Riggs. Uh, I think we're going to land it there. We're not going to sing our final song. Thanks. Anyway. <laughs> but um, I think this is, uh, this is a fantastic word for us in a, in, in a season where God is speaking very clearly and very precisely. And so this is definitely one of those ones to go listen to again. I mean, so much to think about. And I, I really pray, I stand with Rigby, that we would learn these lessons, so many lessons that God is teaching us all the time that will lead us to this life of contentment, that will lead us to shalom, peace, rest, despite the busyness, despite the chaos, despite the ups and downs. So let me pray for us as well, and then I'll send us on our way. God, we thank you for the gift of your spirit that reminds us of teachings like we've heard right now. And I pray that as we live our lives, as we go about living, when we hit those moments of discontent, that you would interrupt our lives. God, that you would just remind us of this morning, that you would remind us of your presence with us, your promises. You you will remind us of eternity. We wouldn't suffer from that amnesia. But that, God, that we would find ourselves in you in moments, in circumstances, in troubles, in joys, in much or little, God, remind us of these words. Mark us. We want to we walk in step with what you're doing and what you're teaching us.
Why don't you pray a prayer where you are right now? Just take, take a minute for you to just pray your own prayer, asking God to help you on this journey to contentment. We'll just have a moment's silence. God, we thank you that you've come, that we may have life and life to the full. Amen. Well, thank you, everyone. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Let's hang out. Let's have tea and coffee. Maybe share a thought or two about what God may have spoken to you about. Uh, we'll see you again next week. <laughs>